Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hello, I'm Bill Press, and thank you for joining us, and welcome to my new podcast, The Bill Press Pod. In this new format, I'm really excited about joining you to explore some of the big issues facing us as Americans, doing the kind of deep dive into climate change or immigration or gun safety you never have time to talk about on talk radio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you tune into your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod, and if you really enjoyed the program, please share with your friends and leave a five-star rating or review. Believe me, it really helps us get the word out. Today, we tackle the issue of voter suppression, a serious problem nationwide, with some 20 states enacting various measures to make it harder, if not impossible, for some people, especially students or seniors or people of color, to exercise their right to vote. Our guest is Kristen Clark, president of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, America's leading advocacy organization dedicated to protecting the right to vote. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to see you. Oh, it's good to see you, too. You know, I wanted to talk first about the issue of voter suppression, which I think is such uh, an important issue facing this country. And, I mean, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I sort of grew up believing that um, we should encourage everybody to vote and that um, basically the more people who voted, the better democracy we had. What's wrong with that theory? I feel like that's civics 101, right? Voting is at the heart of our democracy. It's how it functions. It's how it operates. And, um, you know, I often think about the struggle um, that um, we've seen unfold in our country to extend the franchise to everybody, to women, to African-Americans. And um, it is unfortunate that in 2019, we see so many people working to lock people out of the ballot box by erecting hurdles that make it harder for people even to register uh, to vote. Um, To me, this is an issue that um, we should be sounding an alarm about everywhere across our country. Voter suppression is alive and well, and these are all efforts aimed at locking out people of color who have been historically disenfranchised across our country. And we have a history of that, right? It's not just today that this has popped up. I mean, look back in American history, there's um, a sad history of denying people the right to vote or making it more difficult for them to vote. Um, Going back, what, to colonial times? I don't know. Yeah, and we can't ignore that history because it explains how we got here and makes clear that while we've made progress that there's still such a long road to travel. You know, I think back to Jim Crow, where we saw violence used as a tool to lock people out of the ballot box. I think about the literacy test and the understanding clauses and activists who had to count jelly beans in a jar uh, in order to get the right to merely register to vote. Uh, And then I think about where we are today where officials are resorting to very similar tactics to lock many of those same people out. 
Um, we can't forget about that history. We can't forget about those who fought like John Lewis, a true hero in our country who still bears the battle scars uh, from fighting for the right to vote. Um, and the work that we do at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law is about carrying forth that legacy and making sure that um, all Americans, um, regardless of race, get the right to have their voice heard. Where do you see the biggest challenges today and what particular states? We hear a lot about Georgia, a lot about Florida. Uh, I'm sure they're not the only states. Where do you see the biggest challenges? So um, if we were having voter suppression kind of on trial today, for me, exhibit one would be Georgia. Exhibit two would be Texas. Exhibit three would be North Carolina. Um, voter suppression efforts are intense in so many places across the country, but I think in those three particular states, we're seeing a few things. Dramatic demographic changes and shifts and a status quo um, that is bent on holding on to their grip on power. And we see the voter suppression efforts at every level, at the local level, at the county level, and at the state level. And um, you know, some of the ugliest cases that we've seen in the past few years have arisen in those three very states. And what are they doing particularly to, to make it more difficult for people to vote or to turn them away? So let's talk about Georgia. Yeah. Um, we helped beat back an effort in Randolph County, Georgia, where officials sought to close seven of nine polling sites. And they did so under the guise of, uh, you know, we're just working to comply with the ADA here, and there are problems with a number of these sites. We're working on it. Um, but it was clear that if that plan went into effect, that for black voters in particular and low-income voters, they weren't going to be able to to vote. I'm sure you're talking about a pretty big territory and not just a few city blocks. Yeah, yeah. Well, a whole county. Nine polling sites for a whole county and they sought to shutter seven. We worked with the community, we activated petitions, and we showed up at their hearing, court papers in hand, and said, if you go forward, we will sue. And fortunately, a lot of that intense pressure and mobilization resulted in officials relenting and abandoning the effort. Then let's look at Macon-Bibb County. This is a very rural county where um, officials sought to move a polling site from a majority black school to the local sheriff's office. And the community immediately responded and said, look, this is not a neutral place, a welcoming place for black voters. Yeah, or a comfortable place for a lot of people. Yeah, right? common sense. And they resisted and refused to move the site. And so we worked with the community and activated a petition procedure that ultimately got that change reversed. And the site was moved to a local black church. Then let's go to the state level. Um, I mean, this is a place where we've been fighting a scheme called Exact Match for years. We sued Brian Kemp back in the 2016 election cycle. Secretary of State. Yep, Georgia. former Secretary former, of State. Um, you know, people were working to register people all across the state, and their efforts weren't bearing fruit. People weren't ending up on the rolls. So we went in, we investigated, and found out that they had basically come up with this policy that unless every letter, every character, every accent mark 
on a registration form matches what was in the state's database, which is riddled with errors, that they would just let those forms pile up. And um, we sued, and ultimately tens of thousands of people made it onto the rolls who otherwise would have been locked out. Only come to find out uh, after our success in the courts that the legislature said, you know what, if Kemp can't do it through policy, we'll do it by law. And lawmakers adopted a law, put it on the books, and Kemp said, okay, I will happily go on ahead and enforce. And we had to sue Kemp again. It's like a game of whack-a-mole with some officials in states who, again, are just brazen in their attempts to lock people out. He knew well that this is a scheme that harms African-Americans, Latinos, naturalized citizens whose names are more likely to end up inaccurately reflected in the state's database but he went forth nonetheless. Well, I want to ask you that, can you determine whether these efforts are targeted against any particular community, students or African-Americans, people of color particularly? We absolutely see a starker impact on African-Americans, on Latinos, on Native Americans, and voters of color when it comes to voter suppression. But no doubt, officials are also working to make it harder for students as well. Um, Our voting rights laws, our civil rights laws, are designed to protect that historic problem that we've been up against. You know, voters locked out of the ballot box on the basis of race. Um, But we have to be concerned about all of these efforts that at the end of the day are about locking out otherwise eligible Americans. So the proponents of some of these measures, and Kemp is one of them, always, and Chris Kobach from Kansas, always say, well, we need to do this because there's such massive voter fraud in this country. Yeah. What evidence do we have of any voter fraud at all? Not much, not much. And um, in fact, what we find, that is the go-to justification used by anyone whenever they want to make it harder to vote. And, um, you know, the reality is that uh, eligible Americans just want their voices heard. And we've got one of the lowest registration rates of any modern democracy in the world. And if there are any crises that our officials were focused on, it should be figuring out how we get more people out participating and turning out on Election Day, period. Right. Um, and that's a combination for, for well, for one thing, you got to make it um, not so difficult to to find a place to vote yeah. or to vote. Yeah, and stop coming up with these false claims about vote fraud. It's all pretext. How did we fight? Your organization is certainly leading the charge, particularly in the litigation area and fighting back these efforts. Is there anything that ordinary citizens can do or are concerned about this? Be vigilant. We need vigilance now more than ever because, you know, what we're finding is that on the ground, local election officials are often working to change the rules of the game. They are purging voters from the role from the rolls, so they should show up to local meetings. They should go and turn out to their registrar's office and find out, you know, where are the minutes from that last meeting that you held? When are you holding your next meeting? Mm-hmm. And bring pressure to bear on the ground. And when they find something, they should sound an alarm. And we run a hotline called Election Protection. It is the nation's largest nonpartisan voter protection hotline, 866-OUR-VOTE. But that's a place that ordinary citizens can go to um, when there's something that should be escalated, when there's something that 
seems fishy when there's something that might require that the civil civil rights lawyers step in to hold officials accountable. Right. Even either before the an election or yeah or on election day. And that's kind of on the defensive end mm-hmm. of what ordinary citizens can do. But what we also need are people who are going out and registering people to vote, uh, people who are working to make sure people know about the dates for elections, know about what's going to be on the ballot. Um, the more we get people talking about elections, I think that's all um, the better for our democracy. Bill Press Pod brought to you today by the Ironworkers Union, good men and women of the Ironworkers under President Eric Dean, building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <laughs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Bill Press Pod. We're talking to Kristen Clark, president of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. You know, too often I find, too, we ignore the importance. Everybody's so excited about voting for president or maybe U.S. senator. But state legislators, state legislatures, secretaries of state who are responsible for the elections. District attorneys who are important players in the criminal justice system. And if you get someone who's reform-minded, can have transformational impact on the way justice uh, plays out in a community. Or something I'm very excited about, um, judicial elections, which often go ignored. But as we see what President Trump is doing to our federal courts, I think it's increasingly important that we think about um, our state courts, our local courts, um, and the power and discretion that those judges wield, and the way in which voters can use the ballot box to hold elected judges accountable or elect judges who better reflect the dynamics of the community. Particularly up against these lifetime appointments that we're seeing from the uh, Trump administration. Speaking of lifetime appointments, to what extent did the Supreme Court's ruling on the Voting Rights Act um, uh, kind of free up the states to take on a lot of these measures. Free up is not even the word. I mean, this was a devastating decision issued by the court. The Shelby County, Alabama v. Holder case in 2013, no doubt, just ripped the heart out of the Voting Rights Act and opened the floodgates for voter suppression across the country. It has made officials emboldened to try any tactic or scheme that will make it harder for vulnerable 
voters and would-be voters to have their voice heard. And, um, you know, we're working right now and pushing Congress to take up restoration of the Voting Rights Act. This is so critical on the heels of the next 2020 redistricting cycle um, where lawmakers will be going in and redrawing, redrawing maps in ways that could prove harmful to voters. The, the Voting Rights Act is, in my view, the most important piece of legislation that our Congress has ever passed. Hmm. Um, it literally helped to transform democracy. Um, by making it harder for states to resort to those old-school Jim Crow disenfranchisement tactics to lock out um, voters of color. And and we're back in that place today, in large part because of the Supreme Court decision. Right, which did away with Section 5, saying the states don't have to, they, they can do seek. basically whatever they want. They don't have yeah. to seek federal review, federal review of their voting changes. So everything that we've been talking about today everything that we've been talking about today in Georgia, Texas, North Carolina would have been subject to this federal review process that likely would have blocked many of those, you know, exact match, uh, discriminatory polling place closure changes, um, you know, all of these dangerous maneuvers likely would have been blocked if we had that federal review mechanism in place. Since 1965, nothing has been more impactful on opening up the doors of democracy in our country. Kristen, a lot of these issues go back to the founding of the Lawyers Committee, go back to... 1963. And how'd that come about? Yeah, so President John F. Kennedy, um, he is the one we deem our, our founder. He put out a call to action for private lawyers to engage in the civil rights fight because the feeling in the country at that time was that people just weren't doing enough. They weren't stepping up to protect the victims of discrimination. And there were about 240 plus lawyers who attended a meeting at the White House where his charge was to go back to your home communities, roll up your sleeves, and figure out how you can use the law to engage in the civil rights fight. And they did that. And today, that's what we're still doing. We're partnering with lawyers across the country to beat back voter suppression, um, to advance the cause of justice, and to safeguard the civil rights of African Americans and other vulnerable people across our country. It was a call to arms to lawyers, right, who at the time, there were not that many who were involved in the civil rights movement. Yeah, and what's great today is that you see a lot of firms and corporations that get it, that are stepping up, that are exercising social responsibility, but for us, what they're doing is they're standing with us shoulder to shoulder as we march into federal court to fight back against so much of the injustice that we see today. We couldn't keep up with the pace of voter suppression and other attacks on civil rights without the fuel and support that we get from the law firms that partner with us in this work. I want to ask you about a couple of other issues, if I may. Um, and one is this um, appalling growth of incidences of and expressions of white supremacy, starting with Charlottesville, perhaps. Um, President Trump says doesn't seem to be a big problem to him, just a few people. Yeah. Concern you? 
It absolutely does. I mean, this is an issue that keeps us up late at night at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. We um, have a project, the Stop Hate Project, where we've been working with communities that have been impacted by hate, coming to the aid of victims of hate crimes. And it's intense. It's really intense out there. And one thing that we found is that a lot of law enforcement hadn't made this a priority. And so we've partnered with a group called the International Associations of Chiefs of Police and are working with law enforcement across the country to put in place best practices for beating back hate. But at the end of the day, we, we have to remember that hate is not any old crime. Um, hate has a reverberating and dangerous impact across communities. Um, one person targeted for a hate crime is truly a crime perpetrated against an entire community. And everything that we're seeing and hearing makes clear that this is not a problem going away anytime soon. FBI data shows we saw a 17% increase in hate hmm. in 2017. And we know that sadly many people are emboldened by what's happening at the federal level. Emboldened by what's happening at the federal level, and also, are they somewhat, um, I don't know whether encouraged is too strong a word, but by Donald Trump's comments, who seemed to, the famous, very Good, fine people on both sides. Very fine people, yeah. Which certainly reverberated around yeah. the country. Yeah, and hey, people are not hiding behind hoods anymore. They are right. out openly marching in the streets. They're behind computer screens, leveraging social media to recruit new members, to fundraise, to organize hate rallies. Um, this is a crisis that requires all of our energy and attention, and it is unfortunate to me that we can't find robust bipartisan support for beating back hate. We don't want to, you know, slip back to the dark days of lynchings in our country, but sometimes it feels like that darkness is lurking right around the corner. We are edging up close to five years since Ferguson, Missouri, and the killing of Michael Brown. Uh, and we still see incidences of police brutality, particularly um, young black men, unarmed black men, being being shot by police officers. Where, what is the status of that, as you see it now, and what impact has the Trump administration has have has had on efforts to to kind of deal with that problem of police brutality and yeah. police abuse of power? Um, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland. Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, they're just too many. Um, but the one thing that I can say has come out of all of these tragic police shootings or killings of unarmed African Americans is a movement. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. and people who are courageously you know, getting out in the streets and speaking out and making sure that we don't forget about these tragedies tomorrow um, that are really calling for justice and calling for officers to be held accountable. We're starting to see just a slight bit of progress in terms of police officers who are actually finally being brought to trial. And while those trials don't always yield outcomes that feel like justice has been served, um, we know that it is the, the pressure being presented by young people in the streets who are marching that is often 
um, pushing us to a place where we see officers, you know, who are put up for trial. It, all of this is a reminder about the breaks in our criminal justice system, the ugly ways in which race infects our justice system and policing and um, underscores the hard work that we've got to do to confront this crisis. Now, I remember under um, President Obama and Attorney General Eric Holder, there were efforts dealing with cities. Many ad adopted consent degrees and improvements in, in the police departments. They continue or... or under not this administration? Knowledge. Not to my knowledge. Right. Jeff Sessions, Attorney General under Donald Trump, has basically. shut so much of this down, turned the clock back. They're all about kind of, you know, phasing back, eliminating, rescinding guidance, and um, it's unfortunate. I, I was We're going at, backwards. Yeah, backwards. we are going backwards. And I was at some of those convenings that were held during the Obama years, and they were incredibly encouraging because they were um, not political. Uh, people from all sides, you know, um, you know, Republicans, Democrats, black, white, Latino, all focus on the very singular goal of more effective policing that leaves everybody safer at the end of the day. And um, I mean, basic police community basic, relations. Basic, basic principles. And um, you know, instead, what we've got is you know, former AG Jeff Sessions rescinding guidance on the use of private prisons, rescinding guidance on fines and fees, um, you know, issuing a directive requiring federal prosecutors to impose harsh sentences for low-level offenses, uh, phasing out the use of, use of consent decrees to address policing reform, and so much more. Um, it is gravely unfortunate. I came to my attention this morning a project called the Black Census Project. Um, it's a poll done among 30,000 African Americans nationwide. Uh, it looked first of all at levels of voter registration, which I found um, surprisingly high and encouraging. 86% of these people that were I talked to at least were registered to vote in 2018. 74% they actually voted. Uh, in the 2016 election. But here's what I found uh, also interesting, is 52% of the respondents in the survey said politicians do not care about black people mm. or their interest. Another 35% said, well, politicians care about black people a little bit. Mm. Mm. Does that surprise you? It doesn't, um, but what I hope happens is that it doesn't leave people feeling discouraged and that people see the power and possibility of using the ballot box to hold officials accountable when they are not being responsive to the concerns and pressing needs of their communities. Um, and at the end of the day, we got to remember that, you know, it's more than just turning out on election day. It's showing up to that meeting, showing up to that town hall meeting and uh, using your voice um, to speak out against your elected officials who may not be hearing you or listening to you or attentive to your needs. And then on election day, doing something about it. Mm -hmm. I guess it also shows that politicians can't take uh, African-American voters for granted, no. not even Democratic politicians. No, we're right. forced to be reckoned with, uh, which is why we see so much voter suppression that is all about silencing us and dimming our spirit. 
but I'm encouraged when I do this work going out to communities across the South where people are mobilizing and activated and using, you know, churches on Sunday as a place to register people to vote or, um, you know, encouraging people to take advantage of early voting where those opportunities exist in their state. And I think we're going to see more of that momentum as we go forward and we're going to do our part to beat back the ugly voter suppression that's the dark cloud hovering over all of this so i'm going to circle back finally to voter suppression because in terms of interfering with the legitimacy of our democratic process we have never seen uh anything on the level of what russia did in 2016 for our presidential election which of course has all come to light again thanks to robert Mueller and his report and his statement last week, uh, uh, he called it multiple systematic efforts on the part of Russia to interfere with our election and to help Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. Um, interference which Donald Trump has still to this date not, not acknowledged, acknowledged and, and not condemned. What in, you know, can you assess the impact of that and are we still wide open for what might happen in 2020? We are very vulnerable and I don't think we even know the half. Um, I remember retweeting Senator Lindsey Graham uh, shortly after the election. He said something to the effect of, Russia is working to weaken modern democracies here and across the globe. And I co-signed that 100%. And to me, it's sad to see where we are in 2019, where people have put on their blinders, where we are hijacked by, partisan, by hijacked by partisanship and unable to really confront the threat that impacts all of us. Um, the way, and interference doesn't even feel like the right word. I mean, Russia is actively working to hijack our elections. They are working to, um, you know, promote discord, racial discord, and engaged in the ugliest of efforts to undermine and destroy American democracy. I am disheartened by the fact that we have seen some legislation not get any traction in the Senate that would help us deal with this. We've seen our intelligence officials confirm this, and mm -hmm. we've seen the White House call it all a hoax. Um, it is tragic, it is unpatriotic, and um, it, it is a crisis that we have to confront. Uh, it's interesting that Robert Mueller ended his statement by uh, making that point again and saying this is something that all Americans should be concerned about. Amen. One would hope that yeah. the president would be concerned about it. Too. And one would hope but. today that the, we were doing just that, that we were seeing Congress make this priority number one. How can people uh, get in touch with or find out more about the Lawyers, Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law? Um, you can find out more about us by visiting our website, www.lawyerscommittee.org. <laughs> or visit our Twitter handle, Lawyers.com, L-A-W-Y-E-R-S-C-O-M-M. Kristen Clark, thanks so much for what you're doing. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank you for having me. I'm Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Pod. We've been visiting with Kristen Clark, president of the Lawyers Committee on Civil Rights Under Law on the all-important issue of voter suppression. Again, we're brought to you today thanks to members of the Iron Workers Union under the leadership of President Eric Dean. And thanks to all of you for joining us. Please follow our podcast, The Bill Press Pod. Share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating. We'll see you next time.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.